Welcome again to our service, and uh, I do want to take this opportunity once more to bless our moms all over the world uh, in line of Judah, and to thank you again for the amazing job that you guys do every day so sacrificially, for the way you have blessed and enriched our lives. I mean, what would the world be without mothers? Number one, there wouldn't be anybody around. And number two, I think you guys bring uh, the heart of God into our lives, into our culture, that touch that only a mother can bring. And uh, we, we thank the Lord for kind of pouring His personality into a mother's heart. And may the Lord bless you this morning. May He fill you with joy as you carry out your sacrificial work. And especially during this time, I mean, you guys have so much to do with children at home. Um, you are, you've added another role uh, to your functions, and we thank the Lord, and we pray that the Lord will fill you with His wisdom, knowledge, energy, vitality, inspiration, joy, as you carry out all these different tasks that bless us in so many extraordinary ways. So, thank you for being here. I would like here. to add, yes. some, there are many women who are not mothers biologically. They have not have a child but they do that, they yes. do fulfill that function in the life of many, you know, and I know that we have been enriched, our lives, our children have been enriched by many women, aunts, uh, um, other, you know, older women, uh, older than, than our daughters that have guided them through the years and have provided wise counsel. So, because I think being a mother is not just something, it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual uh, it, it's, it begins in the heart and in the design of God, and I think that's ingrained in every woman. So we are very thankful yeah. for you, too. That, that's such an important touch, and I immediately came to my mind, Marina, my own sister. Uh, you know, we have two daughters and uh, lots of other uh, nephews and nieces all over the place, and uh, Marina has been uh, such a mother to our daughters, for example, and our grandchildren as well. That's just what she doesn't have children of her own, but uh, there's no doubt that she is a spiritual mother, an encourager, a provider of gifts. And Nancy, who has been also such an amazing presence in the, in the life of our family. So, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not just, um, you know, being a physical mother. There's so many ways, a biological mother uh, or a father. I mean, there's so many ways that we can mentor young people and um, adopt uh, children and and, and engage in all kinds of constructive uh, contributions. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a major um, addition that we need to take into consideration as well. Wonderful. And again, thank you so much, moms. And, uh, you know, this morning I, I, uh, we decided to do something different. And it's, we've had moments when Meche and I have done kind of uh, joint uh, meditations, never on a Sunday, I, I don't think. And uh, I've always wanted to do a couple of these sermons um, uh, just collectively, and I, this is not going to be the last time that we do this. Probably going to do it with a couple of the pastors as well in the future. We wanted to add a little bit of uh, variety, but also uh, carry out a Mother's Day meditation in a different way. So uh, I thank Meche um, for stepping out of her comfort zone and, and doing this for the first time. I've had opportunities to do these kinds of interviews before, but um, I know it's a, it's a risk and, and uh, it'll stretch us both as we do this. Today we have... Um, a very relevant and significant meditation on the life of Deborah. I'm sure many of you know of her figure in the Bible. Her story 
is found in Judges, the book of Judges, particularly chapters 4 and 5. And Deborah is quite an exception. She, she's quite an outlier in the scriptures. Because here we have the Old Testament. We're talking about hundreds of years uh, before um, Jesus comes on the scene. A thousand plus years uh, of history before, you know, Jesus brings another we can understand women being important in Jesus' ministry because, you know, he, had a, he was a revolutionary in many ways. But wow, in the Old Testament, to have a woman like Deborah playing a, a significant role of a leader and uh, instigator um, and general, that's quite an exceptional thing. And so, you know, this morning we want to discuss her life in honor of our moms because uh, I think Deborah must have been a mom as well. She probably juggled a few uh, different roles, huh? We, we find in Judges 4, uh, verse 4, it says, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. So we have, you know, she has many roles that she's, uh, you know, in, in moving in them. And it says, and we are, she doesn't, the verse doesn't say that she was a mother, but we are assuming that she was. And so we, ha we have here, she's a prophetess. So that means that she was hearing from God. And she, she was a woman who had a connection, a personal connection with God. And, and she heard of him. And it was a, and a daily thing for her. And she was also a wife. Uh, it says here that she was the wife of Lapidoth. And, and she was leading Israel at that time. She was a judge at that time. So she was breaking ground for all of us that are here today, for all what, of what us women. What is a judge for the benefit of our people who are hearing and watching? What, what, she was a judge, but in what sense was she a judge? It, uh, we don't think of her as, you know, modern. In, you know, today, we think of a court, a courtroom. In this case, there was no courtroom. Uh, in, in those times, what happened was people would gather. There was, would be the king or a judge because the kings had not started. You know, there was no kingdom in Israel yet. So they would sit at the, at the gate of the city, and, and from there, they would, uh, people would bring their problems, like civil problems, to, to the judge, and the, that person would have the wisdom to guide them and counsel them. So that's the type of, of work that a judge would do at that time. Yeah, and not only uh, that was a significant element, of course, and then they were, they were also... They were also um, warriors. Uh, they were also liberators. They were leaders, uh, military leaders, sometimes like Gideon or like Samson. You know, these were warriors as well who provided another element of liberation. As we know, often Israel fell into sin and idolatry, and God sent judgments upon these nations to, you know, to punish and to call attention <clears throat> to Israel for their many sins. And uh, what would happen as Israel became idolatrous, and falling to sin, God would deliver them unto their enemies and deliver them to oppression and, uh, you know, national difficulties. And this is the scene. As a, as a matter of fact, uh, Deborah was the only person between Moses and Samuel that held those three offices, so to speak, that she was a prophetess, she was a military leader. And, and she was a judge as well. So it, she's the only one. So many of the other judges, they, were, they didn't hold those three offices as she did. And as the narration begins, because as I said, it's, it, you can find different pieces of this huge event in, in Israel's life and uh, Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. Tell us a little bit about uh, 
What, what is happening when Deborah emerges on the scene? What is the situation in Israel? Well, it's it's uh, people in, da in constant danger. It, as a matter of fact, it's a, it's a sinful people as well uh, because uh, they had been liberated for eight, 80 years before uh, this passage happens. And during that time, they were seeking the Lord under the previous judge. But then sin, you know, the, the people of God all sinned again. So then that's when you know, we have all this strife coming in and, and people, uh, the, you know, another people group, they would want it to dominate. And they were being harassed all the time. And um, it doesn't say it in the passage, but we know from the context of the country in those times and of the nation is that they were, uh, they would come in, uh, steal their, their crops, steal their animals, and it was constant destruction. You know, the, they didn't have any more village life. You know, as you think of a village as having a center and people gathering for commerce and for, for just to be one and, uh, together with one another and build community, that wasn't happening then because they were, they were afraid. They were hiding uh, from their enemies, and the enemies was it was a constant threat. The enemy that they had in in Deborah's song, Deborah's and Barak's song in chapter five, in uh, verse six and following, you have a, a sense of what the scene was like, the national scene at that time. What was the the, the national condition? Deborah describes it. By the way, this this uh, song, Deborah and Barak's song, that is um, related in chapter five of uh, Judges, is a it's a beautiful poem. It's an epic, almost, if you will. After the victory of the Israelites, uh, Deborah and uh, Barak have a, there must have been like a party, a national celebration. And uh, they engaged in a, a spontaneous song to the Lord. It was almost like a, a national uh, celebration of what God had done. And it describes the battle. It describes the situation. It, it dramatizes all that was happening during that time in Israel and how the battle unfolded and who were some of the major players in that uh, great uh, battle. And in uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, Deborah is describing what the situation was in Israel at that time. It says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Why did the travelers take to winding paths? Well, they were afraid. You know, they, they have a king, an evil, oppressive king over the nation. Forty years they had been, or oh, 20 years, I think it was, under this king uh, who had a general who was particularly cruel and um, oppressive. And uh, they had a very powerful army. And so uh, the Israelites didn't have any confidence. They, they always, they walked in hiding. They were insecure. If they had to go from place to place, they, you know, they were afraid they would take the longest route or the, the most secure because they were not sure of themselves. It says, um, Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. So, uh, you know, it, it struck me that, um, you know, in a sense, a little bit of this uh, description of what life was like in Israel, somewhat, you know, similar to what we are facing now. I, I thought of this, you know, people walking through winding paths. I know that when we take walks in Somerville, uh, you know, we see people approaching. What do we do? We and cross we cross the street. The street. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's like uh, everybody's insecure. We take the longest route. We take the route where there aren't too many people walking around. So I, I thought that, that was an interesting There's no parallel. village life as such either. You know, people gathering in one place, like, for instance, in church or other places. We have an, op we have an oppressive enemy as well. Mm -hmm. He's called COVID. 
And he'll be in our memories for it a long time. He has a last time. name too, 19. <laughs> exactly. COVID-19. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is a situation that is very, um, it's similar in a sense. And it, there's also other similarities as well. So it, it's interesting that it says, until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. That's what really struck us as we decided, hey, why not use Deborah as a, as an example. As a matter of fact, there had been 20 years, like you said, 20 years had passed of the same situation day after day until, and then she says, until I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. She, she had a bit of a, an ego, no? <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's interesting that she says a mother. You know, a mother encompasses all, so many other, so many nourishing functions in the life of a family, of a city, of a neighborhood. She didn't say until I arose, until a military leader or a prophetess. She says a mother. And because she, first of all, she was a, a wife and a mother. She was a, probably a, a common woman with an extraordinary God. That's what she was. Uh, and so that's, it, it's not difficult for us, you know, for women to relate to her. Because we know that she had a, a daily life with all the issues that as women we lead you know, we, we have to take care of every day, getting up early, you know, in that, those times she didn't have the conveniences that we have. So she was probably prepared the fire and, and do so many things, uh, sew for her children and her husband, uh, maybe take care of the crops. I mean, so many things that she, has, she had to do in her time. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the things that makes her such an interesting character for us to explore today. And I think we need to come back to that because that's, that's an important point, you know, the fact that she juggled many roles, and so many moms right now can say, yes, like me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and yet she played a significant national role as well. Let's not forget, I think that's an important point that we need to get back to. As a matter of fact, her name, Deborah, means bee. So when you think bee? of a bee, bzz, bee. Bzz, yeah, that, that type. Yeah, so her, it, if you think of a bee, it's bees go from... Busy as a bee. Yeah, busy as a bee. They're busy, uh, you know, productive, fruitful. You know, and they go, you know, they don't stop. You don't see a, a bee ever. If, if they stop, it's a, for a millisecond, and then they continue on doing their work. And so that's, that's the type of woman yeah. she was, uh, distributing her time, her energies, her resources in all the major roles that she occupied Does that uh, from home you? And, some, and outside yeah. of the home. Does that remind you of another woman in the Bible, busy as a bee? <laughs> How about the woman of uh, Proverbs mm -hmm. 31? 31. You know, is that... Yes. It's that same kind of situation. Oh, this woman also is um, constantly at work. And she also juggles many roles. She does a lot of different kinds of uh, um, functions. Inside the home and outside of the home as yeah. well. And has a communal, community prominence as well. Mm -hmm. Actually, her husband is known mm -hmm. because of her, mm -hmm. which is an interesting reversal of roles. You know, uh, this woman is so influential, so dynamic, so enterprising, that she has gained prominence in her community. And her husband actually is an appendage of her. Um, which is an interesting reversal of roles. And, you know, the Bible is not um, averse to celebrating women who are anointed and who are, um, they have a special role. But just a little bit more about the background so that we, you know, our people who may not have read this story. Um, all right, so here's a nation oppressed. People are afraid. They're panicked. Uh, everything is shot to pieces. Um, this woman arises almost out of, well, no, not out of nowhere because she was known as a judge. As a matter of fact, that's, that's a very important point. I think if you look at the, the verse, and let me get it here, when it says that she had held court under the palm of Deborah, 
You know, so she had a very specific place where Deborah people, Street. yeah, she knew, people knew where to look, you know, go find her. And I think that's, it's the same as, as we, we have a specific address. We live somewhere. We minister from somewhere. And, and it's so important to, to, to know that, you know, that that's, that we, there, there's a, there's a specific place where God has placed us where we, from there, we minister, and others uh, go there for counsel or for ministry of any kind, of every kind, uh, for, for food on the table, if, if that, you know, in our homes. So there is, uh, we, we have a special place, and we have, and that's part of God's design, where he places us, and from that place of strength, you know, from there, we minister to whatever uh, role we have, and, or, or many roles that we have. Yeah, well, let me, let me take that point. We'll get back to the, the situation itself because I think it's a crucial point. We could easily forget it. You know, I, I see, um, like Paul also, Deborah has a, an ego. I mean, not a, not a kind of a excessive ego, but she has a healthy ego. You know, in one passage, there's just, until I, Deborah, until I arose a mother in Israel. So this is not a woman who's suffering from low self-esteem. You know, she's, uh, she's sure of herself. She knows the gift that God has given her. She is secure in her own skin. Like also the Shunammite woman, you know, who uh, says to Elisha, hey, I, I dwell among my people. And, you know, the Shunammite woman is another powerful woman in the Bible who um, is self-confident. She doesn't need anybody to come around and pat her on the back. She knows who she is. She's sure of herself. Her, her identity is grounded on the Lord and what he has done for her and through her. And so here you have another thing, you know, it's, Deborah, it's the palm tree of Deborah, you know, uh, and I, I'm not sure that it wasn't uh, Deborah herself who gave it that name. I don't know. I mean, this woman has a strong self-confidence. And I as think you're it's saying, probably, people point. probably labeled it that mm -hmm. way. Uh, I'm thinking, thinking, you know, she was a dependable person. She was there. You know, they, they could count on her. So that's why they, they knew that she was faithful and would carry out her work in, you know, in the community. So. But this idea of Deborah's name, mm -hmm. you know, figuring, and, and the fact that, you know, um, we don't have to always pour dirt on ourselves. Women don't have to always be anonymous and nameless. They, um, women and men, but let's, let's focus on moms and women for a moment here. You know, sometimes we feel that we can, we just, we, we need to be anonymous, that we cannot take credit for something that we do, that we cannot be, we should not be mindful of our importance in the economy of the home and in society and so on. And I don't see that. I, I see ministry as a combination of, you know, us being confident in what God has given us. We need to know that we're anointed. We need to know that we have a calling. We need to know that God is using us. But the, the, the difference is that a believer doesn't take pride in that. We don't sort of, uh, we, we don't rest on our, our, ourselves. We know that everything that we have comes from God. But we do um, also dwell on the gifting that God has given us. And we move from that sense of God is with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me as we sang one of these songs. And, um, you know, I see, I, I see these men like Paul. Paul didn't suffer from uh, low self-esteem. He would say, imitate, you know, imitate me, he said. Yeah, but he also said, if you glory, glory in the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and he also says at another point, you know, don't have a higher self-esteem than you need to have of yourselves. Mm -hmm. But think of yourselves with, you know, accuracy. In other words, don't, don't exaggerate your gifts, but don't minimize them either. I think that's important for you mothers out there and uh, all people who feel a bit, you know, 
anonymous. We, we all have a calling. We have a gifting. We have a blessing. And we should move. We should know clearly <clears throat> that the Lord has called us. He has anointed us. Uh, his spirit rests on us. So then we, we can undertake bold uh, things and initiatives. And many times we don't know what to do. That, that's part of being human. You know, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't see her as a woman that had every, everything planned out, uh, you know, exactly. But she knew where to go. You know, she knew that she could go to the Lord and that he would give her a word for each time. And I think that's the same for us, you know, as, as being, being a mother, you know, many times I didn't know what to say, what to do, but I knew the one who did know. So, you know, we go to him. So that, that's, she's a Amen. great example of that, of, of seeking the Lord and hearing from him. Amen. She, she moved in the gifting. She moved in the anointing. That's another point that we need to touch upon, uh, about the uh, living in the anointing of God. So, okay, Israel is this dismal uh, as a nation, impoverished, oppressed. Deborah calls uh, a, an individual who is an interesting figure also in this whole narrative. Tell me a little bit about him. She calls Barak. And he's, uh, I'm assuming he's a young person. And he was uh, someone that was already had some experience in being a military leader. And that's why, you know, she called him. And probably God also told her about him. And, and, and he was so, probably a little taller and stronger than most yeah, Israelites yeah, as well. Yeah. He had, and he had some, fights, some you know. experience, uh, you know, against the enemy. Uh, so he was the ideal candidate and the one chosen by God to... Uh, for her to come alongside him and do the work that God wanted them so to Deborah do. So Deborah calls him and uh, says, hey, God has a plan for you. What does, he tell, what does she tell him? What are her instructions? And what does he tell her as well, mm -hmm. the whole thing? Well, she, he, uh, she uh, tells him to gather uh, 10,000, if I'm not mistaken, 10,000 soldiers uh, to go against Jabin or Sisera, the, the commander-in-chief of the enemy people. And, and so that's what, you know, she, and she tells him, you know, God has, hasn't got told you about, you know, that it's time to gather the soldiers. And he says, uh, his answer is very interesting. He says, uh, you know, when she encourages him, you know, it's time to go to war or to prepare for, the, for war with, uh, against uh, Sisera. And he says, well, I will go if you go. If you don't go, I won't go. Why, why, did he, why does he say that, you think? Why was Deborah so important, you know, to be present? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, again, they, they knew each other. So he knew Deborah, and he knew that God spoke to Deborah, that she had a, a, a spiritual strength, that it, he was, he was a, a person of faith as well, but maybe he, he needed that security of having Deborah there. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, think uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about the heroes of faith, Barak is mentioned there. So he is a man of faith, but he wants this uh, extra, you know, security to have uh, Deborah there with him and to, so that they can complement each other. Because I can, I imagine what happened was, uh, because this didn't take just one day. It was, you know, it was a length of time. We don't know how long. It, she would pray with, with the soldiers. She would encourage Barak. She might give him, you know, some counsel. So she was, he wanted to have that constant and accessible guidance uh, as, as they fought the war. Yeah, and I, I would say even more than, you know, the, the guidance on, and you've mentioned it, but it's important to highlight this, that um, there was an anointing mm -hmm. 
that Deborah had that was uh, very crucial to this whole thing. The Lord dwelt with Deborah. And I think that's something that throughout the uh, scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, is emphasized over and over again. You know, uh, people have an anointing that God gives. And sometimes they carry that anointing with them. It's a mysterious thing. It's like the Israelites. They wanted to have the ark. When they went to battle, they, they saw the ark as being a, almost like a physical dwelling place for God. And, and you know, throughout history, nations have always seen that, you know, there are sacred places, sacred trees, sacred locations in the tops of mountains where the Spirit dwells. And so there's this idea in Scripture that there are men and women who God anoints in a supernatural sort of way. And it was a very important thing for, for the people of Israel to, in, in God's eyes, to listen to the prophets and, and do what the prophets said. And, and we see, you know, many examples when, when, the, when Israel did not listen to the prophets and did the opposite of what the prophets would say. And, and there were dire consequences, you know, terrible death and many other things. So it, it was important. I think he, that's, that's a great thing that he had, a great quality. He, he knew that she had that anointing that, that he needed um, And we battle. need that. You know, we, we need that, that mysterious thing that Pentecostals call the anointing. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have that in our lives. We need to have it and we need to cultivate it through prayer, through the Word, through intimacy with God, through active belief in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Many churches uh, have abandoned this idea of this mysterious essence that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we need to ask for and we need to cultivate. You know, it's like uh, you want, if you're going to spend the whole day outside and you won't have access to a battery, you want to leave your home with your iPhone fully charged, and you connect it to a source of energy, you charge it to the full, and you know that that battery, as it is charged, it would be able to carry out its function. So I think, you know, we need to underline this idea of the anointing. It's raw energy, dunamis. Um, It is is this part that we really need to know always through our lives. Uh, We Pentecostal people, and you don't have to be a denominational Pentecostal to... um, to believe in this mysterious thing. Um, we need the raw energy of the Holy Spirit. And I think that this is what Deborah had cultivated. For whatever reason, that anointing dwelt on her. And I think that Barak knew that instinctively. And that's why he said, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a cell phone. You're the battery. And if I'm going to go to war, I want the battery to be with me. You know, this is what the Bible says many times. There's another passage I'm trying to think here. where uh, It says, if you're not going to walk, if you're not going to be with us, don't take us out. We won't leave without you. You know, so God's people. So Barak, I think it's an important point that this guy, being a mighty warrior, he wants the anointing of God that Deborah, a woman, uh, embodies. And it's not that he was on faith. He, he didn't lack faith, but he's saying, hey, I want the anointing that you have. So if we're going to go out, I need you to be with me. And it's me. interesting that this anointing doesn't come necessarily when everything is rosy, you know, and perfect. You know, she was, she, they were used to war and to, you know, to being persecuted by, by another, by other people. And it's then that she, insta- she, she knew what was happening around her. Uh, there was, you know, lots of dangers happening. But in spite of that, you know, that she knew where to gather the anointing and the strength that she needed. 
And, and that's the same you know, thing in our life, not necessarily now with the COVID-19 situation, but always. You know, that oh, to, in good times prepare for when those hard times come, we, we have our battery charged and we're able to give, you know, do the, give the good fight that we need to do. And that's only through the anointing of God, not on our own strength. And I, she knew that and Barack knew that she had that. Deborah, Deborah, I, I can imagine her getting up before, you know, lighting up the fire, before the family was awake to charge her own battery, to be in intimacy with God, to seek his face, uh, to meditate on whatever they had. They didn't have a Bible at that time, but there were, there were stories. There were verbal stories about, you know, what God had done through Moses and so on and so forth, the story of the Israelites in Egypt, and so on and so forth. That was fresh in the memory of the, the collective memory of the Israelites. Deborah must have taken strength from all of that. And so I can, I can see her in the, the dusk, or rather the dawn light, uh, when it might even have been dark, and just a little light. She gets up, she seeks the Lord's power and anointing. Then she starts lighting up the fire. Maybe there was a servant in the home that then would get up and you know, they would make breakfast together and the children would have breakfast and her husband would go out to the fields and so on and so forth. But she, uh, I can see her, you know, just seeking the anointing of the Lord, God speaking to her in dreams and so on and so forth. And then she goes out to judge the people and, you know, have her own story. But, you know, this is this, this anointed woman of God who then uh, can transfer that anointing to others as well. And I guess there's one final piece that we must talk about, which is what happens. So Barak finally goes, they go out into the, into the battle. They're facing a, an extraordinary enemy who is so much more powerful than they are. They have uh, chariots of Nine, iron. 900 of them. Mm -hmm. And what, those, are the, those are the tanks mm -hmm. of uh, their time. Tell me a little bit about the superiority of the, uh, of the army of Jabin and, uh, Bar and uh, Sisera. Oh, they, they were a well-oiled army. You know, they, they, that's what they did all the time, as opposed to the people of Israel, where they, they didn't have the, the weapons they needed. Uh, they probably did have people, but not trained, you know, maybe trained people. Like yes, yeah. yeah, maybe very rudimentary weapons that they used. And, and, you know, if you think about it, those chariots are scary. You know, they, they come, they, from the distance, they shine in the sun. And they, had spokes, and they make uh, noise. Sharpened, yeah, you know, so it's, it, it's a very scary uh, prospect to face an enemy like that. Totally superior. They had superior technology. And they made sure that the Israelites didn't have that technology, by the way. And they had taken away, you know, even, you know, many of the spears and, and right. swords from right. the people of Israel. So they're more numerous. They are, you know, a powerful, powerful army. And they're depending on those chariots uh, to win the day. And, you know, it reminds me of the story that we, we spoke about Psalm, Psalm I think it was 20. 20. 20. Yeah. There are those who depend on, on their horses and, and on, on their chariots. chariots. And but we will be mindful of the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And they fall and falter, but we rise mm -hmm. and uh, remain standing. So, you know, it, it, is a, it is a classic story of the underdogs fighting Goliath, David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. But they have the anointing. They have the power of God on their behalf. They have faith. They have faith, mm -hmm. of course. And, uh, you know, the day ends with a total rout of uh, Sisera's army. And, uh, you know, God did something extraordinary. Uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, the supernatural intervention of God. How does that express itself? It's interesting that God leads them to that point of demise. What, what happens there? Well, the, uh, Sisera and his army, they, they were going to uh, fight in, the, in, a, 
in the field, you know, not, not a mountain. Uh, the Israelites, where they were in, in a mountain, and suddenly there was a river nearby, and through divine intervention, the, the heavens opened and there was rain. And of course, downpour, downpour and it's flooded, and that was the end of many of the chariots. And then, you know, the people of Israel, they would confront them, you know, physical fighting, yeah. and they were able to kill all of them except the commander. Their advantage was taken from them. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. uh, there, it rained so much, the ground became soggy. And, and chariots cannot yeah. function well in that ground. And so, all of a sudden, actually, their advantage is turned to disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And they become demoralized, probably, because their, their main force is all of a sudden taken out of them, their main advantage. And, uh, you know, it's interesting also to me that the Israelites, you know, Deborah says, go and go and meet them. There's always this, story, this idea, you know, some of the battles that we have talked about, uh, God always says prophetically, go and meet them, confront them. Uh, to Hezekiah, he says, go and find them where they are in En Gedi and, you know, confront them. Of course, they were confronting them with a, a weaponry of the spirit, like worship in the case of Hezekiah. And, um, you know, the, the story is that, of course, uh, God intervenes. And it's interesting that Deborah says even, I am going to lead, uh, through the spirit, I am going to lead Sisera to this particular place. So As a matter of fact, Sisera, you know, he, he uh, you know, decided to attack because he knew that they were meeting somewhere as, as an army. That's why he came. And he probably had no doubt that he would, like, you know, eat them like bread. You know, there was no doubt in his mind that that would, that would be the outcome, that he would succeed and eliminate the, these Israelites even more. Yeah. And, and I think now as we kind of get into the really meaty part and wind down our, our, our time, um, it's important, again, uh, there, there's these themes that you, you, you mentioned. Uh, one thing that fascinates me is, again, this woman who God chooses uh, improbably to lead uh, a military campaign, but is also a, a judge, she's a mother, she's a wife, and I think that there's some parallels there that we need to um, kind of discuss a little bit more as to, you know, because, I mean, there are mothers who are doing all kinds of things these days. And, uh, you know, what was it that enabled Deborah, again, to, to carry out these different functions uh, successfully? Again, it's, uh, she was a woman of purpose, and she knew what she had. You know, like, like you mentioned in the, in the song of Deborah and Barak, you know, she rises up as a mother of Is in Israel. So she knew who she was, and she knew who to uh, go al along with, and that's where she called Barak, and they started working together. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a team effort, so to speak. Uh, she, knew, she knew where to, to find, uh, humanly speaking, what she needed and, you know, heavenly speaking as well. I, I think that uh, mothers and, and dads also play significant roles, you know. We cannot do, we live in such a complex society that uh, we cannot do the many things that are expected of us without um, seeking guidance and wisdom from the Lord, particularly in the times that we... Are living. We need to be encouragers uh, to our children. We need to encourage each other. And, um, you know, I think of women uh, like, like you, for example, who has been in ministry for 30 years, now carrying out your ministry in a more visible, formal sort of way. But you've been, you know, a minister throughout these 30-some years that we have been ministering together. And, you know, you, you're a professional woman. You are an occupational therapist. You work for 30 years. 
in a nonprofit uh, somewhere in Cambridge, working many times full time for you know doing all kinds of social work, social ministry. But you were also working in the church. You were a mother, um, all kinds of things. And what 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 helped you along through all these all these different times? Know that I was called. Mm. <laughs> you know okay. that it wasn't me doing it, and that I didn't have to do it on my own strength. Mm. And of course, you know there are times of you know that you question yourself and. You know, it's not all, you know, perfect, but at the same time, you know, you go back to what's your purpose, what's your calling, and knowing that it doesn't depend only on you, but it, all, it depends on the Lord, and that, you know, He gives the guidance, and He responds to our prayers. You know, we know from experience, you know, in our congregation, knowing so many families that are devastated by many, many difficult situations, and you see these women rise up and you know, and, and pray under the anointing of God and, and seek God and God giving them specific instructions on what to do in their situation. You know, we, we know, for instance, uh, Mili, you know, who, you know, it was a very difficult situation. Uh, she's, she was, a, you know, a single mom raising four children, uh, and one of them was very rebellious and and, I mean, things that were devastating in terms of the family dynamics. And that woman, you know, under the anointing of God, and, you know, she kept seeking the Lord. And today, you know, her daughter, who was so rebellious and didn't want to know of the Lord, is, you know, she, she loves the Lord. She's raising her own daughter in a beautiful way. She's a professional woman. So everything that she saw happening then, you know, as Deborah, you know, she saw all this danger around her. You know, the Lord turned it for something good and trained Millie, you know, for war in her home. And, and she succeeded. You know, she, God gave her the desires of her heart. So it's a, it's, it's a very real thing that we can apply to our own home life. Yeah, you know, I'm also intrigued by this relationship between Deborah and Barak, how it is a very complementary relationship. Uh, they, they work in tandem with each other. You know, Barak has some strengths, and Deborah has other strengths. Mm -hmm. And they kind of work together. It's a very symbiotic kind of relationship. And, um, you know, they each recognize each other's anointing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they work together to produce a magnificent result. So there's something there, I think, for uh, husbands and wives and uh, fathers and mothers. And I can, I can think of Lapidoth, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, Deborah's, Deborah's husband. husband. Uh, he, um, as a matter of fact, his name means torch or enlightened so he was... Where are you uh, getting all these interpretations? I didn't even know the, the uh, meanings of these names. No, mighty Google. <laughs> Just, you know, you go there, you get all the answers. Yeah, you've been holding that on. You didn't give me that piece of information. <laughs> no. So, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was a light in his home. And one of the things that l that light took him to do was to encourage the gifting in his wife. And that is so important, you know, because we cannot do anything by ourselves. You know, we, we need our husbands, if we have them, we need our family uh, to support us and encourage us. It's not, it's not just a, a lonely ranger proposition. We need, this is a, you know, it's, it's a group of people that No, I think that's important. I think uh, Lapidoth is a hero. Yes. You know, he's not uh, highlighted or anything like that, but um, he, I, I believe he's a hero because, I mean, we're talking about thousands of years before, you know, our own time. Women are kind of dirt, mm -hmm. they're not taking into consideration. Mm -hmm. And here you have this guy who's, 
whose uh, wife has a, a street named after her, <laughs> Deborah's Palm Tree, yeah. you know. And uh, this woman is a governor. And here's poor Lappy Dog going with his little lunch bag to the field, you know, to work, to work. And his wife is going off to this, uh, in the newspapers all the time, Judge Deborah decides on such and such a case. And, you know, Lappy Dog's there eating his little sandwich. No, he probably, he heard from the same God that Deborah uh, heard. Yeah. You know, it reminds me sometimes of, you know, there are men in our own congregation whose wives play a really prominent role mm -hmm. in the life of the congregation. These are anointed, fearsome women. <laughs> they intimidate me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, these, these women are full of spiritual testosterone. And, uh, you know, I walk very, very carefully around them, you know, because they, they can confront me as well. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, and so it's important for us to respect that anointing in others and to learn how to, to learn when to step aside. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, my, my respect goes to these men because these women are teaching Sunday school. You know, they're, they're teaching discipleship classes. Um, they're leading home groups. Um, you know, they're leading whole ministries like Sonny Bell is doing with um, uh, Awana. You know, Peg Bonnes, who does all kinds of stuff around here, and others like that. Um, you know, uh, many, many others who, who do all kinds of significant work. And, um, you know, they, they, they are full of the Holy Spirit. And we men have to, you know, give them their space and uh, step aside that they can use that anointing. And not and be threatened by them. Not be threatened. Mm -hmm. You know, we also need to have our own sense of security. Because if you're an insecure man, you're going to feel threatened by the anointing in your wife. And uh, we need, there's a lot of security that is required, self-confidence um, to and allow. And again, it's, it's knowing who we are. Yeah. You know? Yes. God created men and women, and what in his likeness and image. They, they are, we're equal. We're co-laborers We have the, the same image of God in co each one. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and that's an important piece. You know, the other, there are differences of function, I believe, you know, uh, I, I do believe in the headship of the man, but it has to be an enlightened headship. It is not abusive. It's not possessive. It's not oppressive. It's not proprietary. Um, it is a generous, um, it, you know. It's uh, loving as Christ loved the church. Listen, I believe <laughs> that if everything. men understood, if men yes. understood what it is to have the headship of the home, they would run away from it. We wouldn't be so interested in seeking it. Because really what, it's, what it requires is that like Jesus, we give ourselves in sacrifice for the blessing of those, of, of those women that God has put us in leadership of. Um, and we are expected like Jesus to sacrifice ourselves, to self-efface, to be humble and to really allow these our women to rise and to occupy their place of prominence and to allow them opportunities to exercise their gifts and not be threatened uh, and by that, that should take place in the home in within marriage uh, within work within ministry in every area that it's the same model and yeah, design and I, and I think this complementarity of barack and deborah is so so crucial and i think that that'll be our final point of a very rich rich uh, narrative here because um you know uh barack uh, steps you know and, and he recognizes i don't have that kind of anointing that you have deborah so I'm, I, I'm going to rely on your anointing. Me, I'm good at clubbing people's heads. But, uh, you know, you can't do that, but I can. But I, you have the energy. You have the power of God with you. 
And I want that security of knowing that you're near me. So, um, you know, Barack does his thing. Deborah does her thing. And together they produce this extraordinary victory of the Lord. And I think in the home it's like that. You know, we have to learn, you know, what are your gifts? What are my gifts? For example, at home, you take care of the bills. Uh, why, why is that? <laughs> you can, you can, <laughs> okay. you can uh, be honest. I can be honest. I won't, I won't hold it against you. Well, there were some bills that were being paid a little late. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I decided, no, you know, I'm, I'm pretty methodical. I can do this. And, and you know, it's, it's been a successful journey. No yes. more penalties. No more, more penalties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm delighted that you take that. Believe yes, me, I have he was no, very happy to no have that off his in, plate. Uh, paying yes. bills, and you know, we've been paying bills on time since you took over. But I think it's important, you know, in the home for us to. It's a dance. You know, the last mm-hmm. thing I see here, this beautiful, this song, which I used, I always used to think it's a, it's Deborah's song, mm-hmm. but you know, no, it's, it's clear. The first that, verse says, "It's yeah. Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang. They sang this they song sang together. This song. Deborah and Barak yes. sang." The song that we see in chapter 5, mm-hmm. you know, it occurs to me that marriage is like a song also, or mm-hmm. uh, motherhood, fatherhood, family life is like a song as well. Ideally, where you have a father and a mother singing together the song of marriage and of parenthood. Can you develop that beautiful poetic image that I just discovered a little bit more? How, how, is, it a, how is it a song? How is it a dance? This, this drama well, we, we, are, we are different. We each bring our own uh, beauty to the mix. And sometimes it's a difficult, there are difficulties in adjusting to one another and recognizing the gifts of another. But then, you know, with the passing of time especially, we get to appreciate that even more and more. And then a beautiful song emerges and a beautiful dance emerges. And it gets better and better. That's at least that's God's plan that it become better and better and the in it and it's a song of appreciation of what everyone brings to the table as in the in the song she she mentions uh the you know the, the beauty of the volunteers that came and she mentions them by name or or they mentioned because barack and and deborah and 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 again it's 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 a team effort and there's there's beauty in that, in doing things together, negotiating things uh, together, getting to conclusions together, you know, advancing together. And that's, that's what happens in the, in the story. You know, they, they complement one another. They, they, bring, they, they provide leadership to others to come into the, into the plan and to the, God's design for that hour. And then something beautiful, there, there is a, you know, the battle is won. And that's, you know, again, we face so many battles in our homes, in our families. And I think even of, of women that are raising their children by themselves, you know, they don't have, you know, a husband next to them. So, you know, I'm always very mindful of that, that not only, we don't only raise with a father next to us, you know, and, and these women, they, you know, they also uh, seek that. You know, they, they seek the Lord first, and then they, they provide leadership to their home. And, it's, and that's also a beautiful song and dance in those homes as well. And, and, and God, you know, blesses the, those people who, who, are, who, put, who know what they're called to do and, and that seek Him in, in their resources to do what His purpose is for each family. And, you know, uh, talking about those, that imagery of music and, 
You know, there's a well-known statement. We say, it takes two to tango. And, you know, when you look at a tango is a, is a genre in, in dance. It is one of the most complex types of dance that, that can ever be. If you, if you can do, go to YouTube and see a couple doing a tango, it's a complicated, it's a tangle, and it's a tango as well. It's quite a, a, an amazingly complex uh, dance. And uh, if you see that dance, I mean, it's very complimentary. Women are no passive uh, participants. You know, women are very aggressive in the tango as well. And they're very, you know, sensual in their movements, and men also. And it's a beautiful, it's almost just a little bit of almost a conflict as well. You know, latent conflict and competition. And uh, there's a moments of dominance, one and the other. There are moments of attack and counterattack, which is all the, you know, the beauty and the complexity of love and of relationship between men and women. It can be in the home as well. There may be even a little kicking <laughs> that takes place as well. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's just the beauty and the mystery of that dance. It reminds us again of marriage and it reminds us of uh, family raising and of women and men, the complementarity of male and, and female. And uh, in tango also, sometimes you advance and the women retreats. Sometimes the woman advances and the man retreats and compliments. It's a beautiful uh, kind of image of uh, what life should be like, where men and women, each, we bring our gifts before the Lord, we bring our anointings, and we defer to each other, and we prefer each other, and uh, we do together this magnificent ritual, which glorifies this God who is both male and female and who has both in himself the elements of femininity and of masculinity. Not in a sexual sense, of course, but in the sense of what women embody, nurturing and, and uh, love and understanding and complexity of looking at all the elements of creation simultaneously. Women are capable of, of feeling things instinctively more than men. But men also bring that aggressiveness. They bring, you know, that def definition, um, they bring that legislative, uh, I think, quality that makes us powerful and strong, but also makes us uh, weak. And that's what we need, the, uh, the instincts of women as well, to complement us. And that's the beauty of um, life, lived in the Lord. Uh, you know, Scripture is amazingly eloquent in uh, showing us this God who created male and female. He created them to express the complexity of his own personality. And so when we men and women are relating to each other in life, we are dancing with God and in God, and God is dancing through us as well. Um, as we learn to love each other, respect each other, defer to each other, prefer each other, acknowledge each other's gifts, and it's when we learn to work together in that lovely cooperation, that humility that we exercise toward each other, that sense of knowing what our limits are and what the giftings of the other are. That is when beautiful things happen. Beautiful music is made. Beautiful results like liberation for our cultures, as in the case of Israel, takes place. And uh, this morning, again, we bless the feminine in our moms and in ourselves as well. And we bless the masculine in our moms and in ourselves as well and um, we ask the Lord to teach us as a congregation to move in that complementarity and uh, to embody God's infinite complexity.
and uh, we are grateful that God made things so beautifully, so complex, um, so mysterious. Every time a man and a woman move together, there's a, a, as we close, uh, verse 31 of Judges uh, thir- uh, 5, which, you know, it's a song of Barak and Deborah. It says, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord. So that's the faith that she had, that all her enemies would perish. But may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. You know, so that's, that's the the... When we love the Lord, when we put Him first in every area of our life, regardless of how difficult we might think it is, uh, miracles happen. Wars are, are won. You know, we don't have to be afraid. We might be temporarily scared, but it's, it's not where we live. And, and we need to, to know that God is with us, that He is the source of our strength. And then it says, the last verse on chapter 5 says, Then the land had peace 40 years. That means twice, that twice as much, twice as much yes. So that Activity. means that, you know, your efforts will have fruit. That's what we always need to acknowledge. Our efforts will have fruit. It might, there might be a season, you know, where we see no, no response apparently. But when we go to that quiet place and we invite God to speak to our lives, when we hear from Him, when we do what He is asking us to do in obedience, like Deborah did, there will always, always, always be fruit and there will be a good result in spite of what we see happening, you know, and that's very encouraging because sometimes, you know, people are in hard places and they need to know that that is our truth. We serve a big God who, who loves us, who, who wants a relationship with us, who cares about us, who called us to be mothers or, or wives or leaders in, in different areas. He is the one who calls us. He, he knows what we need. And so that's something that we want to leave with each one of you. Uh, you are not alone in what you're doing. God is behind you, next to you. He, he dwells in you, and, and He will do. Uh, he will be there for you and give you what you need in the time of need. Amen. That's, that's Amen. my faith. Amen. And I want to thank you as well for being Deborah in my life all these 30-some years that we have been together because you have been the presence of God in my life, in our home. And, uh, you know, God chose you because you carry a certain anointing that I, I, I absolutely needed. I'm more like perhaps like Barack uh, in, you know, a certain kind of aggressiveness and other things that God has, you know, given me. But uh, without the complementarity of uh, Deborah's anointing and her blessing and God's uh, presence through you, it would have been a complete disaster. So thank you. For and Deborah, Deborah needs Barack. Barack <laughs> needs Deborah. Yes. We need each other. And we've made beautiful music all these years. And I thank the Lord for that. And thank you, moms. Thank you men who stand aside so that your women can shine and uh, lead uh, Israel. And uh, may the Lord make of our congregation a, a special place where men and women can not only coexist and tolerate each other, but truly bless each other, encourage each other, uh, bring out each other's gifts, and allow each other to shine before the Lord. That is our prayer.